I think Roland O'Gara could be managing the Cork Hurlers, the Irish soccer team. He could be managing anything. He's got the X factor. To win two Champions Cups with a club that doesn't really have that much of a history in the game. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. I'm prepared to end it if I can. Well, do, it then. Again. do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Now you're welcome along. Very happy to say Mr. Gavin Cooney from the 42 joins us here in the studio for the football show. Hello. Well, what's the crack? crack as you know is that we've just been talking about succession <laughs> listener unfortunately for about an hour and a half Nothing else this hard to snap back into this epic football season as a result it was a real week of endings you know Premier League season finally ended on Sunday succession ended for most of us at 2am on Monday morning finally seems to be the word most people are using about this Premier League season did it drag on for you did it feel too long or were you uh, oh yeah no 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 like I mean empires empires rose and fell during the time this Premier League season took to complete it's because the World Cup was in the middle of it and it you know a World Cup in the middle of a season messes with our ancient rhythms you know I mean we're used to um World Cup is being the bookend of a season and then a long gap and a new season then beginning so it's very weird to imagine one plonked in the middle of the season and probably uh, like I was listening to your bit with Pat and Evan last night we didn't probably haven't factored in the World Cup its impact and the managers who have managed it best into the analysis of the season just because everything before that World Cup feels like it was part of a different uh, part of a different different season mm. yeah very much so I can't even remember how I felt post-World Cup going back into the season. I think I was okay with it, but it was really just like World Cup final and then... We're right. back. Our, we're Liverpool and Man City played a Carling Cup game two, three days after the World Cup right, after the World Cup final. <laughs> and I, just, uh, I, 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 like many of the players, could have done with a bit more of a break after the World Cup, but uh, here we are. You have come armed with Gavin Cooney's top five moments. Mm. From yeah. The- Premier League season that was so I am uh, very curious here I suspect I will forget most of this it took it took quite an inexhaustible level of research to try and remember these like do you have a long list for your top five moments oh is in terms in honourable mentions and so forth that didn't make the cut yeah yeah go on because I do I did do a trick question with Pat Nevin where I asked him which of these happened last season yeah and it's very I mean <laughs> it's hard to remember so uh, give us some of the um, without giving us your top five some of the lesser lights that now I put a lot less uh, work into yes, the honourable mention so a lot of these are backloaded within the last <laughs> month I think yeah, okay. <laughs> Andy Robertson being elbowed by linesman I'd forgotten that yeah that was completely chaotic and then everyone kind of moved on from it I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of press support for let's not punish the linesman yeah Roy Keane saying baby yeah the, well, look, that's you know that's timings. Roy Keane being Roy Keane, and th- that's I think, fine. I think even he laughed at I've taken this too far. But like a, <laughs> a lot of the broadsheets came out and say, you know, like in, in like in the wider issue of referee abuse, etc. Let's stand by this linesman. Hmm. But like, what? <laughs> I mean, they're two completely separate issues. Like maybe Robertson said something horrible to the linesman, and if so, punish him for that. But like the linesman did elbow him in the in the chin, and obviously Robertson made a bit more of it. But I think it was more shock than like, I mean, wait, what? <laughs> yes, okay, good one. Yeah, and a very buff linesman as well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, the ninth coming of Big Sam. 
Mm. Ninth Premier League job, short-lived, unhappy. Never flourished or caught the imagination past that first press conference, really. And it was a hell of a press conference. There was a good press conference the week after where he talked about worrying about the incipient coming of AI. Remember that? Oh, no. Yeah, no, he was talking... He was. I think he, he did BT, like not BT Sport, but BT as a whole, cut jobs or something, um, citing AI is able to do it. And he, yes. he, he picked this up and said, this is a major worry for me now going forward. Um, and look, Big Sam has always been worried about the future. It's probably why he voted for Brexit. Well, I hope for his sake he hasn't checked the news today because... It's funny you say that just before you arrived. Yeah. I, did we get the same push notification? I don't know, but BBC here. Artificial intelligence could lead to extinction. Yeah. Experts. I got, a, I got a push notification about that. <laughs> yes. So a bunch of experts, including the heads of OpenAI and Google DeepMind, have warned that extinction is uh, a risk which should uh, take global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war and a bunch of very smart people including some of those who are behind this technology in the first place have signed this and said Mm. So like people will wonder why we've dedicated our lives to talking about Big Sam and this kind of patent uh, 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 panto that has become the Premier League that's why (laughs) what else are you meant to do lads I will go back and check out that Big Sam press conference Um, so he got half a million still for his point yeah look I mean good work if you can get it Uh, he I think became convinced that the Leeds players basically weren't good enough to stay up he's another of this there's an emerging archetype in the Premier League of of short term managers who work as pundits really on those specific teams rather than uh, managers obviously Ralph Ranić kind of set the archetype last season Allardyce ended the season a little bit like that basically said yeah. comes down to whether your players are good enough or not and sadly sadly they weren't um, but still it was nice for him suddenly to find for Allardyce to be catapulted into a main protagonist in the relegation fight and briefly in the title race because obviously his first game was, uh, was against Man City yeah uh, Jurgen Klopp pulling his hamstring. Yeah, <laughs> the there's a definite recency bias here. <laughs> there really is. I mean, have I? I, I just I, I also lashed in all of Nathan Jones. It's di- it's difficult to yeah. kind of ca- to, to distill the best Nathan Jones uh, moments. Really, just there's a kind of a general level of comedy around him mm. talking about his expected goals. Uh, total at Luton Town. I was just like, I've compromised for these lads, but no more compromise anymore. And guy was out the door, and ten days later. But may well be remembered as the only man capable of stopping Man City's quadruple. True, he was he his Southampton knocked City out of the League Cup, um, and then that prank in the match of the day live studios. It was a it was an FA Cup game, but phone. the phone. Yeah, Danny Murphy was there. Murphy, I I can't remember the punish there. Obviously, Lineker was there, handled it handled it with quite a lot of grace. I have to say, I do, I remember listening to Danny Murphy on Talksport the next morning just recounting the sheer confusion in the studio for obvious reasons and are you watching that and are you putting yourself in Lineker's chair wondering if that happened on Virgin Media Six Nations coverage how would I deal with it <laughs> no but it's a, an interesting discussion to have I suppose it's probably something I should visualise and prepare for <laughs> if there's any mischievous researchers at Virgin Media uh, who will be on set listening to this uh, so give us your uh, top five then where are we starting because this has just been such a long season well the Tuchel Conte handshake was allegedly part of this season yeah uh, that one of all of them really feels of another era oh, it does yeah. now that's partly because of what Spurs and Chelsea did to themselves subsequent that was the 14th of August yeah it was such a good game you forget this Like I love this because 
kind of sums up well why I am so addicted to the to the Premier League and so addicted to kind of talking uh, and talking about and listening to the various managers because you know like these are like elite level managers like the elite at their profession yeah. uh, you know these brilliant genius tactical minds incredibly demanding personality and they're while also being capable of acting as the biggest babies you'll ever meet um, because if you remember this game it was like the, it was one of those great games where you can see kind of the managerial tactical switches in game mm. you know like Chelsea started with this uh, back three with Ruben Loftus cheek out on the right and he was kind of ex- exposing the back three that Spurs had so then Conte switched to a back four and then that got them back in the game and then Tuchel was like well I'll go to a back four and then that got them ahead and then ultimately Chelsea, or Spurs were very lucky to draw the game Um so you've got this, you know, high sophisticated art happening in the field, and then it ends with, with you know, punch and Judy show on the on the sideline. Um, so it was hilarious. Mm. I mean, it's just legitimately hilarious. And I know there's a couple of people will arch their eyebrow and just like, you know, it's, it's not what you want to see, lads. I mean, <laughs> it is exactly what you want to see. I did have to glance back. Tuchel was a judge to have been largely culpable was the phrase uh, largely culpable um, so he was fined 35 grand and given a one game touchline ban Conte was fined 15 grand but no ban so yeah. it was to jog people's memory a case of handshake and then Tuchel hangs on and Conte goes off but he does a great look look me in the eyes okay and isn't, that, isn't it Tuchel to Conte does the you, got, you have to look me in the eyes okay. when you shake my hand so he had been disrespected apparently so okay <laughs> again Big babies, like. yeah. It's why it's why we love it. And then it feels of a of a forgotten age because, well, Chelsea. Well, it's, I suppose Conte took Spurs down from the inside. Really, I mean, his how he acted in the last couple of months was unbelievable. And obviously, gave that uh, parting press conference where he kind of weaponized the memes against against them, mm. <laughs> turned the memes against them. Mm. Uh, where he, you know, talked about echoed the Giorgio Collini. This is the history of the Tottenham. I think it's the story of Tottenham. We have the clip actually. So oh. here is Antonio Conte. This is his exit interview from Spurs. Another alibi. You try to find alibi and an excuse for, for, for the players. Okay, continue, continue to do this, to find excuse for the players. You do only this, you do only this, excuse for the players. Yeah, but the players, maybe my, my future, and then okay, they, they, lost, they lost confidence, they lost spirit, they lost to, to be a team. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Try to protect. Try to protect every time and uh, this situation. Ah, come on, come on, come on. We are professional. We, we, we paid, the club paid us a lot of money. The players receive money. Me receive money. You understand? Not to be, to find excuse and uh, don't have spirit or, or, or don't show the sense of belongings. I don't show a sense of responsibility because we are showing this. And for me, this is unacceptable for me because this is the first time in my career to see a situation like this. And until now, I wasn't able to change, not to change, but compare last season, the situation went to become worst. Why, Antonio? Why do you think it is like this? Why? Bah, I don't know, because they are used here. They are used here. Don't play for, uh, for, uh, for something important. 
Yeah. And uh, they don't play, uh, they don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's easy in this way. And Tottenham, Tottenham story is this. 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? Mm. It's that pah. It's just the contempt in it. It's more powerful and less hilarious, actually, than I would have remembered it. Mm. So if you take him at face value, I think he's just very genuinely livid. And, you know, I sometimes you watch the more harsher critics and they talk about players being spineless or having no character. And I sometimes think, mm, have they really risen to where they've got to without character? And that's just an easy throwaway thing to say. But then you listen to Conte. He's genuine, genuinely aghast at what he's seen here mm. inside this dressing room. I'd love the specifics. I oh, mean, yeah. I, and we're aching for them. <laughs> but he, he really is genuinely livid and aghast. And I think on a, on a sincere level, he's saying, we are actually paid an obscene amount of money. And like, this is just a joke. And then, why Antonio? <laughs> it's like, why do they all sound that way? Um, <laughs> and, I, and then it's, because uh, they're used to it. Like, mm. you know, that, and again, that Spursy thing always seems a touch throwaway. But then that is actually Antonio Conte's diagnosis. Yeah. That, that culture has been cultivated. It's pretty amazing speech, actually. It's not as kind of, haha, did you see Conte losing his rag? Yeah. It's a, it's a good football man. Yeah. Um, not to be too... But it's, but but it's it make, making a, like a very serious point that these guys are just stealing a living. But I also don't think that the Tottenham manager should be going, lads, it's Tottenham. I mean, it was his job to do something about it. And if he can't do anything about it, fair enough. But I don't think it's right to go on and trash the players and everyone involved in the club in public. Like, I mean... You know, and that, that was a consistent trend throughout his time there. He basically had a lack of respect for the club and its supporters because he always felt that he was too good for it. Oh, you're very lucky to have me. Maybe that was the case, but I don't think he should act that way. Like, he will admit himself he's paying, being paid a lot of money mm. uh, for that role. And then, like, it was Tottenham, you see Tottenham fans online be like, well, we'd really like Ryan Mason because he doesn't give off the idea that he hates Tottenham. Mm. <laughs> it was like, I feel like that's a basic requirement for your manager, you know? So I think that while, he, I, while a lot of, I think Conte got some sympathy from Spurs fans because of the content of his speech, because there's not necessarily anything wrong about it, mm. I also think that he shouldn't be making it. I think it's his job to do something about it. Well, there's no doubt he knew that this is basically me resigning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think he resigned. I think he was. He oh, had he to was. be pushed. And if I remember, it was over an international break. Yeah, like, it was. That feels like he, he reserved. Okay, there was a collapse against Southampton, but I feel like I'll hold this in reserve <laughs> for just before the international break. Perhaps. Um, yeah. And then obviously Spurs randomly appointed his assistant as the interim manager. Like, And then I feel your season has gone badly wrong when you're sacking interim managers, which they had to do with Stellini after the Newcastle game. What a joke that is. Yeah. To get his assistant in to just do exactly the same thing just complete lack of uh, and look there's other things going on at Spurs there was a whole Fabio Paratici being banned by FIFA for uh, over the Juventus thing but like little things like Spurs put out this video uh, of Paratici looking ahead to the summer and next season and talking about the season that was um, recorded for a, with a, for in a video that had about the same budget as a bag of cans like it was literally darkened room phone up you're seeing most of his neck and uh, and that came out about six hours before he was banned from football worldwide 
and had to leave his job. Mm. So obviously, there's a, the lack of direction there was seen in Stellini taking the job. There's a general lack of direction because your managing director is gone as well, or your sporting director is gone as well in, in Prodigy. But just, you know, Spurs in a very dumb Premier League season, like so many clubs just, maybe it was the World Cup made it too long for them, but they just couldn't keep their decision-making inside the guardrails. And Who's most likely next man in? I don't know. Uh, there seems to be stuff today about Luis Enrique, perhaps. Luis Enrique was linked with the uh, Napoli job because Spalletti is leaving Napoli, which is kind of sad, mm. <laughs> really. Uh, it's maybe him. Like there's Obviously, yeah, who turned them down? Aaron Slot, the fine old manager, been linked as well with Postacoglu. Yeah. But, you know, a manager, you'd imagine Spurs is a great opportunity, but when there's such flux off the field, I mean, they'll surely sell Kane this summer. Yeah. You've no idea what structure is going to be around you or anything I can understand managers being somewhat reticent to take it so of that lo- lovable uh, duo that's Conte the general read on Tuchel is he had too much to say for himself and was too quick to disagree with Todd Bowley's latest idea yeah. and so that was doomed yeah now I would be suspicious of anyone who agreed with any of Todd Bowley's latest oh, ideas I think it, it, it further burnishes the reputation of Tom Stuckel that he wasn't prepared to stay and listen they to had him. like he he's a genius coach yeah. and they sacked him I know and they sacked him with a very weird US presidential style we're 100 days in office here's what we've achieved we're just binned off the best manager we've had yeah. since Conte and to, to the extent that his name is still sung at pretty much every Chelsea game you know like leaving aside the you know the regard in which he's held by supporters he's a brilliant coach yeah. you're like exactly there's actually very few coaches out there who you can get who are better than him mm. like to, like it was an act of great self-immolation to get rid of him uh, but then it really just set the tone for the Chelsea season like it was considered the amount of money invested mm. and the performances and results that we've seen since it is I think it's the worst Premier League performance we've ever seen by anyone if you just a kind of a pound for pound to the point where it's actually kind of a bit of a disgrace like how bad they've been oh it's a disgrace under complete yeah. lack of interest it's an, it's an abomination it's the first uh, this season also uh, marks my first interaction with amortisation when it comes when it comes to players mm. So the logic, I think people get their head around pretty quickly. Rather than give uh, 50 million in a five-year deal, just pay 10 million over five years and that helps your financial uh, fair play spreadsheet. So I get that. Now, Chelsea have stretched that out to seven, eight-year contracts Mm. and they're um, pretty sure this is going to work. Football people who understand the inclinations of footballers around a dressing room smell trouble with this in a whole host of yeah. and I'm inclined to think they, their instincts might be right I just think that if this was such a good idea someone before Todd Bowley would have thought of it like it's such a risk. financial fair play being a relatively new thing well it's been around for a while well okay being, <laughs> being observed a relatively <laughs> new thing been around for 10 years or so yeah. uh, it's so risky be- and like this is the club of Winston Bogart I yeah. mean it's not a it's not a club culturally um, unfamiliar with people sitting on the bench collecting massive wa- um, wage packets and okay you say well look we'll put Mikhail Mudrick on an 8 year contract we'll yeah. pay the 80 million off 10 million a year and then he'll be a superstar and we'll sell him for 150 million and we'll actually have made a profit that works if Michael Mudrick plays well and is worth 150 million yeah. in a few years like you still have to pay him his weekly wage it, it, and you're boxed into paying it for 8 years totally like it, it completely underplays the extent to which in that industry uh, more so than you know accountancy 
where Mudrick might come in for his eight years and, and punch in and do his accountancy and go home at the end of each day. In football, there are massive fallings out. Mm. There are managers who don't like the cut of your jib. There are uh, losses of form in profound ways. There are, you know, any host of issues which go wrong. So you, you just wondered, uh, uh, did anyone kind of explain this to Bowley? And if they did, did he just dismiss it as, no, 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 trust me, I'm the smartest guy in the room? Or, or maybe it wasn't explained to him. Maybe there's just a room of of yes people I, I, I'm fascinated to know there's going to be a, a really good book about this in about three four years oh yes fantastic yeah. um, and Mudrick is obviously not yet proved worth the no. crazy amounts of money well it was funny I, I mentioned if you were listening to Pat you would have heard that you know that exchange between Micah Richards and Jamie Carragher where Micah was yeah. was parodying well a lot of people are saying that next year Chelsea Pochettino throwing a striker mm, that's going to be good and Carragher said is it like who are these good players you're talking about? They're not ready. And Pat Nevin said last night, having looked at a, the last couple of games, which I appreciate may not have been the best audition or best environment for a young player to shine. But he said, uh, in my view, a whole bunch of them are not ready for next year. So if you want to keep those on an eight-year deal, then you still have to have your squad of about 25 or 30 if you're Pochettino. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's everything about it is treacherous. Oh, yeah. I have a Mudrick story. Go on. I am... Um we were in Poland for Ireland-Ukraine last year. Uh, I came in having gone out for a couple of very cheap Polish beers uh, and met Michaela Mudrick getting a McDonald's delivery in the lobby of the hotel. <laughs> Todd Bowley consulted me. Uh, you know, they might, might, have, might have saved you 80 million quid there, pal. Eight years of McDonald's will add up. <laughs> uh, and then obviously, like the, the maddest thing that Bowley did, obviously the Potter thing was interesting. We're told we, every week, Every weekend we read something in the Telegraph or another such English newspaper that this is a long-term project yeah. right up until the moment they push the eject button. Again, I see this, that that crystallises the point about them on paper understanding how the world of accountancy would work but then football being so different and with their Potter plan and, and the absolute you know, uh, promise that this is a long-term thing. It's like no one sat down and said, we see Todd, what tends to happen here is like the crowd turn yeah. and then it becomes toxic and then you just have to fire him. Yeah. And then they but had to throw to appease them. They had to, but he picked Frank Lampard. Well. I mean, this is the ultimate kind of counterintuitive Todd Bowley thinking. Who have we got? I mean, a lot of people have been Chelsea manager, but a lot more have not. Why don't we get the one guy we know isn't good enough to do it? Well, on that point. And they brought him in. You picked out two clips. One of them was the Conte exit interview. The other, and I think, I mean, no football show is complete, in oh. my opinion, without Keys and Gray featuring. So they were talking about the situation at Chelsea. Explain this to me. Go on. One of the candidates is Julian Nagelsmann. Yes. What has he got that the legend that is Frank Lampard, the Chelsea legend that is Frank Lampard, has not? A guy that knows the club inside out. Yeah. A guy Mm. that Chelsea fans think the world of. What has Nagelsmann done? Okay, one... Bundesliga, but he'd be hard pushed not to. As coach of yes, of Bayern, Bayern Munich coach. Yeah, yeah, you're but nothing else. No, so, no. So, what makes him preferable? Do we think is it because he is I German? Know, I know what you're going to say. And you, and young. You, well, Frank's young. Rides a skateboard. <laughs> what is Nagelsmann? 38, 36, 35. 35. He's 44. Frank Lampard. Yeah. 
Frank's got plenty of experience. He's, co he's coached that club before. What Nagels makes him better? I don't know. That they have a fixation, modern day coaches, of, and what modern day owners of English Premier League clubs have a fixation with a foreign name, a foreign coach, that they would be better. They're better equipped. They'll bring a brand of football that we can't produce by having British coaches, which is a nonsense, as we know. Of course it's a nonsense. But there can be no other reason then that Nagelsmann should be rated higher than Frank. Yes, he's won a Bundesliga title, but you're right. You'd be hard pushed not to be Bayern Munich. I, would, I will wager you any money that if Frank Lampard was the Bayern Munich manager next year, Bayern would not win the Bundesliga. <laughs> Even if they go ahead and sign former Chelsea Lion Declan Rice, I'm convinced that it wouldn't happen. He's just a bloody good broadcaster, though. Oh, Keezy. Keezy, yeah. Well, I was hoping you were going to say Lampard because I feel like maybe that's the career that, that has to be ahead of him. Well, yeah, I wonder. I suspect he will go back into a TV studio until he gets his next uh, job of interest and may just find himself it did, he in did a say, TV studio. Lampard did say after a recent Chelsea game that he's going to have to pick his, pick his next job carefully. Mm. <laughs> just like, no oh, kidding. <laughs> five points. I hate to uh, be the bear of bad news. We've talked for far too long considering we've just done one of your top five there. Oh, right. So I'm going to take a very short break and then we're going to blitz through your other top four moments from the Premier League season Good. that was. The football show is, of course, brought to you by Sky. Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. Back in one sec. Football on off the ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. Welcome back. We are picking our way through the season that was in the Premier League with Kevin Cooney, the 42. Uh, the vehicle to manoeuvre our way through this season is Gav's top five moments. So Tuchel Conte handshake was number one. Number two, Ronaldo exit. Yeah, graceless. And, ob and obviously another thing you have to kind of do a double take when you're reminded that it's this season. Like Ronaldo has scored Premier League goals in this season. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, all the kind of best managers are really defined by who they get rid of, first of all. You know, obviously Ferguson um, with the certain element of the dressing room at United when he first arrived, Guardiola getting rid of Joe Hart, say. Like, that's what they're always defined by. And I think that's kind of what Eric Ten Hag has done really well in his first season. Yeah. Obviously managed to drop Maguire out of the team and then Ronaldo, well, Ronaldo did his work for him, really. You know, the... <clears throat> you remember the walk down the tunnel against Spurs uh, then you saw the theatre of Ronaldo snubbing Carragher and then Neville on Monday Night Football and then that kind of wretched Piers Morgan interview like what a way to leave mm. a club at which you built your legacy really kind of, Ronaldo kind of built his legacy United and then burnished at Real Madrid so to then torch it on his way out in a kind of a, a terribly sycophantic interview um, interview not being probably the right word for it yeah. uh, sycophantic broadcast um, and then just like really lame digs at people like talking about how he's better looking than Wayne Rooney like like how is he how is he reduced to this? Not to be too sympathetic towards him, to say the very least, because he was just in uh, so much pain at the dying of the light, he just can't handle it. Yeah, and that is fair, I suppose. Like, and you know, he did. He is he's continuing to miss, um, is to continue to labour under this mass misapprehension that he's still yeah. good enough at the elite level, and like that is doubtless very difficult to take. Um, but it was, it was a pretty graceless way to take it. So he left United in a, in a kind of an awful scenario, really, to yeah. be honest. It's kind of sad way to leave, and then a pretty sad way to leave the World Cup as well. Like you know. So if you, if I can posit the theory that Ten Hag decided pretty early on that season, this guy doesn't make sense for me. I don't want him. Yeah. He played it beautifully because, Incredibly. like, even in we were debating Ronaldo. I remember ad nauseum at the start of the season, and there was a huge group of people 
Um, I was very much included saying this guy doesn't fit into a system. He may well score some more some goals Manchester United will not score more goals like whoever plays up front is going to score goals this is bad 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 on 20 different levels and to be fair like Roy Keane chief amongst them and others were saying sorry he's their best player you play him he does the hardest thing in football Soonest was in that camp too mm. and as were like a colossal number of Manchester United fans who have a lot more history with Ronaldo and you have Ten Hag who's getting whacked by Brentford early at the gate who has to really pick his battles in that crazy period but once it started to hit that point where you know, he's starting to leave him on the bench and then he's starting to act up. Yeah. Played with a plum. I don't, I like, n- nobody I, I felt was saying, oh, well, he was chased out of the club in a vicious manner, you know, ill-befitting of his mm. legendary status. Like, uh, not to bring it back to succession or whatever, but, you know, he was, I, I, it did feel like he took a deep breath and played it very nicely, but made yeah. damn sure to get him out as well. Yeah, just tell Ronaldo they were all interchangeable modular parts at the end of it all, you know. Yes. Uh, Ten Hag got two gifts one of them was a dubious one but was a gift in the long term was was it 4-0 against Brentford by half time mm. in the game I think Maguire and Ronaldo both played both played in that game yeah. and then Ronaldo walking down the tunnel at Spurs it's just like a PR catastrophe for Ronaldo and the thing about that Spurs game is United won it Yeah. so like Ronaldo then put out a statement saying guys I know it's a tough time for us but like we'll be together again soon and, and you know keep the heads up he doing like maybe like look like, maybe but, I'm ascribing too much but, but Machiavellian PR to Ronaldo maybe it was just I can't deal with this how am I going to lash out here this is how I'm going to do it I, I think he sincerely felt that his upset was outweighing the fact that United had put in one of their most encouraging performances of the season yeah that, that, that was you know the fans were more upset about the Ronaldo situation like hang in there guys it's going to be okay they're all singing we've just beaten we're like we're in great shape yeah, here yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. that's what was so comical about that and as for the Piers Morgan thing yeah I can't believe that happened did you ever watch the full thing no couldn't bear, I couldn't bring myself to watch I started it started it man. it's another, going yeah another one of those things where, you know so much was drip 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 and leaked out and ahead of time and you know you got the main token points I was just like do I really need to watch this I mean I, like, I did, did Morgan praise a six pack at one point uh, as as is always the case with these things Ronaldo's six pack not his own yeah in real time watching the full thing it wasn't as horrific as the clips yeah would show okay. isolation it was still quite bad though yeah not great and then obviously uh, then to leave the World Cup in, a, in kind of you know he, he will forever be compared to Messi unfortunately for him yeah uh, and for Messi to win the World Cup and yeah. Ronaldo you know that was the last you know the last battle in the Ronaldo-Messi war mm. was that World Cup yeah and uh, regrettably Ronaldo lost it and then, then he ended up at like an Al Nasser it's like, pretty I grim mean, yeah, just the, the last time I saw him as opposed to like on Twitter scoring a goal in Saudi Arabia was walking down the tunnel in tears after Portugal that's it like that's yeah. exit stage maybe he'll cling on for the Euros no. in Germany you never know probably will um, by, because he's been in recent squads yeah. but like in terms of relevance at the elite level like that's it because he won a few battles and the Ballon d'Ors were racking up and there were some like unbelievable achievements yeah. to the point where it was a viable debate even though in a lot of people's eyes Messi's just obviously better but it was, better, it was a viable better, yeah. debate but the war has been settled yeah I think so that must be if you think how badly he was taken not coming off the bench against Spurs must be brutal I, like, I yeah. think the last six months of his life I would say are, are brutal I'm not massively uh, sympathetic I should yeah. say but brutal but you, I like what a fascinating story like you know like he's just walled in by his own walled in by what made him brilliant is now mm. kind of torturing him yeah and like playing for Al Nasser like I mean again like being there was a strop off um, 
did he kind of make some kind of Diego Simeone style gesture to the crowd as he walked off one Saudi game There's, I think there was another storm down the tunnel at Al Nasser as well like he clearly can't be happy there no. um, because it's just he would say it's not commensurate with his own brilliance but sadly um, it is at this at his, in his current physical state that is number two you picked out again of this season the match of the day protest it was crazy yeah like what a bonkers day again we like we move on so quickly from these things and it's hard to forget just the chaos of that of like so go ahead well, it started with the tweet on the Tuesday yeah about Suella Braverman and language reminiscent of 1930s Germany let's mm. be very correct about our, our wording of that and by the Friday evening that was when Wright and Shearer said well we're off yeah Wright was out kind of straight away Shearer was a couple of hours later but he stepped back and then you know that's one thing but then for the Saturday then I was you know pro- programs on the BBC being pulled at short notice like Fighting Dog left Five Live I think like within an hour of going to air Football Focus wasn't shown Final Score wasn't shown you've got these commentators and, and crew members from behind the camera posting statements in support it's just like this complete chaos and it's just like there'll be no match of the day too like just absolute madness and uh, ultimately I'm sure everyone remembers what went to air. I'd say it was the most watched edition of the show of the season. This It wasn't even called Match of the Day. No mm. theme music. Mm. Uh, just this 20 minutes highlights package with no commentary, no interviews, no context or anything. Even like Vout Face got sent off for picking up two yellows for Leicester. Didn't show the first yellow. Like the 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 first principle of Match of the Day yeah. is if you show the first yellow and then you know the guy's getting the second yellow and going. Didn't do it. It was such a rubbish program that they ended up putting out on. Yeah, it air. was unwatchable, wasn't it? It was like, and you made like there was little things like that was the day that David Brooks came back for Bournemouth after his cancer battle, and you know that that would have been shown and discussed on Match of the Day. Like that's that's the vehicle for bringing these stories to a wider audience and it wasn't shown like obviously you know it's not a big thing really in David Brooks's life but it's just that's a story that was lost that weekend because match of the day wasn't shown and it, it, like it was literally down to like a, f- a freedom of speech issue like you know the issue was not that Lineker tweeted a political opinion it was that he was tweeted an opinion poli- um, that was critical of the government of the day mm. so it's just like you know quite a powerful thing I have to say that this match of the day with no words on it became a kind of emblem of, of free speech yeah I wasn't sure if he was going to go back or feel like he could go back mm. pretty seamless really yeah. to, the, to the point where when you sent in your five topics I was like oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's like it did everyone kind of moved on quite quickly but I was remember I was working that Saturday and asked to write a piece about it I just remember this like refreshing my Twitter thing and you know this is this is changing by the minute mm. you know what will fall next will Gareth Crooks pick a team of the week or is that <laughs> the na- latest front in the resistance uh, it's just crazy uh Manchester City fans flying flags in support of Lord Panic. <laughs> like, what kind of dystopian dystopia have we entered, Joe? Like, and it's ironic. Colourful like, one. The BBC's impartiality rules in that match of the day, uh, Farago, they managed to lose an argument about impartiality to football fans. And then we see what kind the kind of impartiality football fans practice when Man City fans are booing the Premier League anthem and raising banners and songs in support of uh, the King's Council is going to defend them against the Premier League's 115 charges. Like, you know, like they're, they're going to Man City twice, um, every fortnight to cheer on their team to win the Premier League and they then boo the Premier League anthem. Mm. You know, we're chanting, Man City will do what we want, singing Shake Mansoor's name. Yeah. Panic, I think Panic in the Streets of London was played over the PA system as well. They beat Aston Villa. I was just like, what are we 
What what world are we living in here? <laughs> I do. My memory from that time in particular is that Pep came out very strongly in support of the club on the press conference on the Friday, and then when he eventually emerged from the tunnel, it was like a goal had been scored in the stadium. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah. I mean, Guardiola. Because we were all interested in what Guardiola would say because when the UEFA charges were brought um, a couple of years earlier. Um, when they were initially banned from the Champions League and then that was overturned at Cass, he was a little bit more uh, ambivalent. It was just like, if someone at the club is being lying, lying to me, I think he used the phrase, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Yeah. Like, I will leave. Yeah, it was a real threat. Well, the Premier League, he's doubling down. Like, he's, um, sorry, he's not doubling down, he's reversing. He's he's completely uh, backing City on it. Mm. You know, it's just like naming clubs that um, that had criticised him around the Cass, had written to Cass in the past and so forth. Um there's even a, you know, City put out a, like a little internal video, um, hype video, I suppose, after they, beat, after they won the Premier League of like um, goals and little dressing room speeches and things. And they included a bit from that press conference. I can't remember the exact quotes. Contextless. Now, they didn't mention that 115 charges, obviously. Um, but yeah, there was, a, there was a real sense of, there was a really grim sense of a siege mentality here. And it's just like, look at all these people. Like, I mean... We we remain we we await the outcome of it, but like the the league and the competition has said you've broken the rules, yeah. and here's like the, these uh, like in a, like fifty thousand people is glorying in this fact that we're Man City will do what we want, mm. and then Lord panic, <laughs> it's just like like now I suppose a lot of this comes down to a surname. I mean panic on the streets of London. I think was the was that the banner as well. <laughs> um, so maybe if he had a drier name maybe it wouldn't have taken off quite so much but just just berserk your fifth moment uh, it's Evan Ferguson's goal against Arsenal I, I, I did feel I should pick something that actually happened on the pitch yeah. <laughs> I don't funny, think any of these did uh, that was his first goal it was the one against Arsenal yeah so uh, he just shooks off William Saliba who at that time was the was yeah. the main was the kind of inform centre back in the league takes a lovely little touch on like his heel and then prods it in under Aaron Ramsdale who I assume is in the Arsenal goal and you're thinking oh yes here we go like I mean we've had hyped Irish footballers in the past mm. I don't think anyone has ever that kind of latent expectation I don't think there's ever been quite so much around someone as Ferguson or something someone maybe going back to Robbie Keane or someone um, so then you thought hang on this is we've just seen like physically he can handle himself he's got the pace running behind and he's got the deft touch to finish it off you're thinking this guy's a real chance here at that point I was still in the well I've been burnt by Aaron Connolly mm. before mode but goodness me it's been great you know it's, I think is it six goals or uh, in 18 Premier League games an 18 year old is, is really good I don't know if you saw it. I'm sure it's been done across the board but uh, on the Sunday pay-per-view we were going through Dan McDonald's piece where he's ranked the Premier League seasons for Irish players and it's pretty grim oh it's the lowest in terms of accumulated minutes by Irish players is the worst ever yeah and but the he, previous he, worst was last year but even it's like you know Ferguson's one from memory Como was two and I think like you're into you know uh, Bizunu mm. who played for the relegated most goals conceded side in the league and, and now dro- lost his place as like he's had the third best season of any Irish player like speaking of a, a season that feels like it's gone on forever I think Matt Doherty is like at the fourth best Premier League season for an Irish player Yeah, because he played 12 times for Spurs before they turfed him out Yeah, so I mean the overall picture is not good but the cherry on top of it 
But that's what changes. I mean, like, but that, like, that's been the story for years. Like, it's been a years long story of decline. So now that the, yeah. the headlines are different. Well, he was in, in the piece, it was saying, like, it's, it's foolish. And of course, it is to compare with 20 years ago and certainly the 90s. But if you take it with a decade ago, yeah. there were on average maybe 25 Irish players in the league year in, year, year out. And so we've, we've, that's been half now in the space of a decade. So I don't know where we are in another decade. Yeah, who knows? Like, I mean, it's it's the broader it's the broader issue, but like, you know, our our the the way in which we developed develop young talents, particularly those I think that are not the the precocious ones, like Ferguson or even like Connolly or Parrott or whoever is kind of top Kennedy Cup guy of that year. Mm. How we develop those guys, particularly the smaller guys developed uh, who who were born in the latter half of the year. That's been a major issue for us because the players that have come through have been goalkeepers and centre halves, really. Some midfielders. Obviously, Ferguson is just this precocious talent. Maybe he would have come through anyway. So I think those things are are being addressed now, in fairness, across Irish football. But I think the the lay of the land and the statistics and the numbers and the minutes and the appearances and so forth in England yeah. would suggest that that's gone awry. And look, it's partly also down to this is now, you know, this is an international league played well, in England. That's the, uh, for me, that's the biggest reason. That is, really. look, yeah. the, and I think that is the biggest. Like, I mean, there's, in like the last 10 years, you know, Fran- French players, Spanish players, there's f- they're getting fewer minutes in the Premier League. The big increase has been Brazil, Argentina and Portugal. Even like, you know, Scotland and Wales have decreased. Northern Ireland has collapsed. There's more minutes played by Zambian players than Northern Ireland players in the Premier League this year. Um, so it's an issue for everyone. Um, it's not an original story for us to say that Ireland have to get to a point where we're no longer relying on it. Yeah. But then the rewards for Ireland of a player making at that level have never been so high because you know Evan Ferguson is now working with Deserby, like this coach who Guardiola is hailing as a genius. Um, and you can see it already in Ferguson's all-round play. Like uh, Deserby's been talking about, he can't just be a penalty box striker number nine. You have to be like Harry Kane. You have to almost be able to play as a number ten and so forth. And all that is of massive benefit to the Irish team because here's a really talented guy benefiting from the best coaching that exists in the game, mm. uh, and you know scoring goals and, and and now playing in Europe and so forth. Um, so the rewards um, for getting there had never been so high, but obviously that means that it's never been so hard to get there. Back to our um, Modric conversation and a manager may come in and just n- not like your face. Nathan Collins in appearances is second after Bazuna with 26. Mm. Unfortunately, second half of the season has been, uh, I'm not too sure about the Cody. Yeah, it was in a back three under Bruno Lage. There's another name, there's a name, blast from the past. (laughs) Who could forget Bruno Lage and the impact on all our lives? There was was actually like a a little brand Tuchel Conte the week before with Bruno Lage and Jesse Marsh. If you remember, they had a bit of a set to on the sideline. In what I concede is dereliction of duty on my part, I've now just enforced a rule whereby when the latest manager is announced, I'm not reading the profile piece on him and like, you know, he microphones players in training and like, you know, he sprinkled stardust on their porridge until they've been around at least five months. Yeah. I just don't want to get to know them to be heartbroken <laughs> all over again. So with Bruno Lage, I never me. really got to know him, I have to say. No, no. Julian uh, Lavtegui, obviously we do know from yeah. the incredible drama around the World Cup where he was Spain manager and then agreed to be Real Madrid manager and then was binned off. That was good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, Collins has not been first choice under him. He was a... I tell you who I'm... Um, making a big effort with now okay. as of next season is Unai Emery yeah he okay. warrants it so uh, here's some stats 
which are kind of mind-blowing, really. So Aston Villa under Gerrard, nine points in 11 games. Nine points in 11. Not good. They were basically um, just above relegation zone and goal difference. So Unai Emery, in 25 games, he has managed 49 points. So if we were to extrapolate that out across the season, he would have taken Aston Villa two-third. Yeah. So the he's transformation has been amazing. Deserby is 1.5 points per game. Emery is 1.96 points per game. Yeah. Like so there's Emery a redemption a, story. He's a brilliant manager. Like he was in he had Villarreal in the Champions League semi-finals last season. Yeah. You know, that's only just over a year ago like we talk about, you know, we're reviewing the season and our short memories and attention spans. That was only quite recent and you know, there are, I think there are extenuating circumstances behind why he didn't fulfill his uh, potential at Arsenal. But for Villa, no disrespect to producer Mick, to get you know Emery is quite remarkable. And goes back to that earlier comment comment about the Premier League is is the place to be now, you know, the top managers from around are there. So yeah, it's very exciting. They have some very good players, Villa. Like I mean Ollie Watkins is like I mean if that, if he was Irish we'd be <laughs> I mean, pretty uh, pretty excited about him. Like he's he's brilliant. Um so they've got some very good players. So uh, he's been uh, no he's been brilliant. In broad strokes, as is ever the case, I suppose, well, I don't know, I was going to say lately, but maybe forever, in our uh, lifetimes watching football, it was a season that was just rich in nonsense, as we've uh, talked through over the last uh, hour or so. On the footballing front, because I do remember your tweet got a lot of attention when I think you were bemoaning Martin Tyler, talking about how much depth there is in the league as Man City are cruising to their fifth in six years and and no sign of it abating. And a lot of people like agreed with that. I understand Tyler's point, like there's just good teams throughout the league now and the the technical brilliance on show week in week out from all teams is kind of as as good as it's ever been. So there there is a certain depth there. But in broad terms, like the league has to be a touch careful here that City don't win the next five and six or mm. it could just become a touch ugh. yeah oh no t- totally like I mean they've already won what is it five and six um, that you don't want to turn it into a kind of uh, France the processions we see in France and, yeah. and Germany really which is at risk now the only thing that might stop that is the fact that Newcastle United now have limitless a limitless supply of see, funds I'm, through Saudi Arabia I'm so. optimistic it, it won't happen I do there are just too many rich, good teams. You can only field 11 players. Like, I, I did say to Pat that um, City, only two of their players started more than 28 Premier League games outfield. So, like, that is the benefit of the richness. They can endure a 38-game league and everything that comes at them. But at a certain point, you can only have so many players in your squad, as Chelsea would attest. And Newcastle, Liverpool, United, Chelsea... And whoever else you want to throw in there, Arsenal, are all rich enough to have really, really good 25-man squads So, I, and managers to boot. I'd be amazed if they do five and six again. I just think United can't be as bad again for such a sustained period. Chelsea will come and go, maybe. Um, Newcastle, as you mentioned. Arsenal back in a good place. I mean, who knows, obviously, but... For as long as, for as, long as Guardiola is there, yeah. it's so hard to see them not... They're favourites. ...being the dominant team every season like. yeah. I mean, you need something to do what Liverpool did which was nuts and unsustainable it turns out and they're out. blowing up yeah. I mean, they managed to finish fifth this season yeah. another minor miracle in and of itself so you're kind of hoping one from the pack okay it's yeah. like you know you're challenging Lance Armstrong Arsenal made Arsenal made the break a year too early you know they needed to take another year and get a bit more depth in the squad Maybe. for when Saliba etc yeah. got injured um, now I didn't think they were capable of making the break that they did this season in all fairness I didn't have them 
I haven't been brave enough to look back at my preseason predictions, but I didn't have Arsenal in the top four. I don't Where think. do you have them next year? Um, it's hard. It's hard to improve on what they've done. You know, and then it's, you know, Eddie Howe was saying it actually, and he's right, that it's actually the next stage of recruitment is harder because, you know, we've it's it's a case of diminishing returns, really. Like, you've, you've, it's, easy, it's relatively easy to boost this team up to this level, but how do you add the right players to get them that next few percent? Um, I don't know. I Part of me thinks it'll be hard for Arsenal to... What, I can't remember what was their 84 points is that what they got this season sure. um, I kind of I don't know I don't know why I think it. maybe it's just a kind of a fatalism that it's hard to pull these things off year on year it is hard to see them stepping up again mm. uh, I think the betting might have United and Liverpool ahead of them for next season uh, I just saw someone put that out uh, on Twitter um, a couple of days ago which is interesting United are the interesting ones mm. I think that they've got a really good base there if like, they get Kane if they get Kane it's the difference maker like, honestly I think they should Roy Keane said it about plainly on TV about three years ago and instead United were looking to Rio Ferdinand for their sporting director <laughs> advice they should have gone to Kane yeah. to sign Harry Kane yeah. honestly I mean, Kane's been linked now with Real Madrid which would be a, be a cool move for him and it would be a great move for him uh, what's the Premier League record though I would think yeah they're, like the Madrid one you know you go you win loads of trophies and you kind of if it means to be a legend it's, if it means something to be a hero at Spurs that's the best way of preserving it Yeah, um, rather than go to United that's true um, but I think uh, like Kane is just a guarantee like 30 goals this season in an absolute joke of a team a joke of a team like I mean again I was listening to your I picked team of seasons and didn't put Kane in and I think probably wrong about that yeah. you know, it was when Pat said well I've got my five nailed on and he said Kane I was like, yeah, of course he is. Yeah, he's brilliant. Taking it for granted. Uh, So if they add that and then the Liverpool thing, it'll be interesting to see if this is just a season off or whether they can go again. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, cheers. What a season. I mean, not over yet. We've got an FA Cup <laughs> final, by the way. I was still in my 20s when it started. <laughs> Our uh, football show coverage is brought to you by Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team, Gavin Cooney from the 42. Thank you very much. Cheers. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team This is News Talk